For more than 20 years, Mobile Loaves and Fishes has been serving our homeless neighbors. Countless conversations with those experiencing homelessness have revealed that the single greatest cause of homelessness is the profound catastrophic loss of family, which leads to the loss of community. This truth serves as the foundation for Community First Village, which has placed 268 people formerly considered homeless in a tiny home, master-planned community. Community First Village is making a massive impact in Austin. It's estimated that Community First Village will save Greater Austin $85 million when fully built, not to mention the lives that it's already changing. Just days ago, I had the privilege to present this gift to Alan Graham, the founder of Mobile Oaths and Fishes and the people of Community First. Alan and Amber, we love you. We love your team and we love your mission to lift men and women out of homelessness and place them in a loving, God-inspired community. So on behalf of Hill Country Bible Church, our elders, and above all, Jesus Christ, it's my privilege to present you with this gift of $1.2 million for Community First Village. We are grateful for the opportunity to contribute to such an awesome, awesome venture. You didn't prepare me, bro. <laughs> Hill Country Bible Church, I will never, ever be able to express in words my gratitude to you for this gift uh, to Mobile Loaves and Fishes. I can only tell you that if you could see into the depths of the cave of my heart, what you would see would be butterflies floating around gleefully in thanksgiving for the work that we collectively are going to be doing together alongside of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that together we are going to go out and multiply goodness in this community. Because of your generous gift, we are going to be able to move forward with our expansion of Community First Village. We are building 1,400 more homes to lift our neighbors off the streets of Austin into a permanent home in a supportive and beautiful community. We are so grateful to you, Hill Country Bible Church. Thank you. Thank you, Hill Country, for thinking beyond yourselves. For loving your neighbors and our neighbors here for everything y'all done for us. Thank you all very much. Thank you, Hill Country Bible Church, for your faithful giving to God. Just look at what we, the people transformed by the love of Christ, can do to make a difference. This is how each of us together can saturate Greater Austin with the love of Jesus. Doesn't that just bring joy to the depths of your soul? It certainly does for me. Uh, when I think about that each of us together 
are able to invest in helping people who've reached a point of desperation where they find themselves destitute, homeless without community, to be lifted up off the streets and into a loving Christ-centered community where they have the ability then to deal with their addictions and with their depression and, and anxiety, mental illnesses, with the loss of job, the loss of health, all of the things that take people away from being able to just care for themselves and place them in that situation. These are people made in the image of God. And to have that ability to do that and to be able to contribute, that, that just is so much who we are as a church. So much that we're, we're committed to do is to make a difference in people's lives. And I'm just so grateful I'm so grateful to you. I'm grateful to God. I'm grateful to Community First Village for our opportunity to invest with them and to see what God's going to do because of that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just getting carried away. So anyway, good morning. <laughs> so great to have you all here. Uh, those joining us at Steiner Ranch, those joining us online or one of our venues, we're, we're so excited to have you here. God's here today and he's speaking. And if you'll open your heart, open your mind, he's got something to say to you today. I would encourage you to also open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 9 in a few minutes. If you don't have a Bible, grab your smart device, BibleGateway.com, put in Acts 9. The passage will come up. You'll be able to follow along. Love to have you following along. And while you're doing that, um, let me just uh, ask this like true confession question. How many of you have ever carved your name into a tree, a telephone pole, a desk at school? And maybe you wrote your name on a wall someplace. Maybe you wrote it in wet cement someplace. Anybody here ever do did that? You know, yeah, a couple of you are willing to admit it, like almost everybody. Why do we do that? There's something about wanting to make a mark, right? Wanting to somehow leave a legacy, wanting to make a difference. There's something like that that's actually built into us. That's how God created us. We want to matter. We want our lives to mean something. Now, we can flip that around and think about people that have meant something to us. Who is a difference maker in your life? I just want you to think about that. Who in your life has made a difference? As you look back over your life, you think, if that person would not have entered into my life, would not have cared, how would my life be different today? Get that person in your mind. I want you to think about who that person might be. Uh, maybe it's a parent. Maybe it's a spouse. Maybe it's a sibling. Maybe it's a teacher or a coach or an author. Maybe it's a pastor or someone who discipled you. Who is that person for you? How has your life become different because somebody cared and stepped in? You got that person in your mind? Are you thinking of them? Are you thinking of them? So the person that comes to mind for me, there, there have been so many along the way that I'm so indebted to, but someone that comes to mind for me is Dr. Bill Lawrence. He's a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary where I spent four years of my life getting my degree in theology. And one of the things that they did at Dallas Seminary was at the end of senior year, they had all of the seniors that were graduating preach a sermon, and they recorded them all on something that looks like this. Anybody remember these? Yeah, they recorded them on these things, 
And so for those of you who don't know what this is, don't worry about it, it's not important. For those of you who have all of the family history on one of these someplace, go get it turned into something digital before it all dissolves, right? Okay, so anyway, everybody had one of these. And what they did was they took the best speakers of the senior class and had them preach their senior sermon in chapel, narrowing it down to the preacher of the senior class, you know, graduating, kind of dialed it in. And so I get a call from Bill Lawrence, the, the professor that's the head of the department. He calls and says, hey, you need to come to my office. And I came to his office and sure enough, there it was. It was sitting there on the desk with my name on it. And I'm thinking, hmm, wonder what this is about. And Bill Lawrence said to me, he said, Tim, you preached a really good sermon and it's good enough that it could be entered into the finalist. But I'm not going to do that. And what he said next changed my life. He said, Tim, you have some natural gifting that a lot of these other folks don't have, but you're not doing your best. I can tell that you're not doing your best. And that is not pleasing to Jesus, and it's not beneficial for the audience that will listen to you. And so I just want you to know I can't submit this, and I want you to deal with this in your life. Like I walked out of an office and it has stuck with me ever since. Every time I'm preparing a sermon, Bill Lawrence is saying, honor Jesus, honor your audience, do your best work. Not only has it changed my life, Bill Lawrence made a difference in me, but if you've ever received anything from any sermon that I've ever preached... He's actually made a difference in your life, and you don't even know who he is. That's difference makers. And we've all had somebody in our life along the way that made a profound difference. Now, the greatest difference maker of all is Jesus. When Jesus came to earth and he lived his life and he, he died the death he died, he rose from the dead. Jesus was the one who overcame the evil in our life through forgiveness so that we could go on and live a new life. In other words, we could make a difference in the world because that's why Jesus was raised from the dead. That's why he gave us this forgiveness and this new life. And so today we're starting a sermon series called Difference Makers. And our tagline is bringing his life to others. In other words, what Jesus has done in us we want to give that out to other people by being difference makers ourselves. Now you may say, well, what is a difference maker? And here's our definition. A difference maker is one who celebrates their new life in Jesus by bringing his life to others. So it's not just you simply celebrate it by saying thank you. The, the greatest honor of all is when you take what someone's done for you and you turn around and do that for someone else. What Jesus has done for you, if you're a follower of Jesus, we turn around and do that for other people. And the reason is, is because Jesus became the difference maker for us. This always goes back to Jesus. He became the difference maker for us. Now, how many of you here have participated in Christian baptism? 
A lot of you participated in Christian baptism. Do you remember when you were baptized? Christian baptism? For those of you who say, well, I've come to faith in Jesus, I've never been baptized. I just wanna let you know that you have an opportunity um, on May 15th, we're going to be having baptisms, and if you want to go to hcbc.com slash baptism, it explains all about it. You can sign up and be part of our next baptism. Now, if you're not a follower of Jesus, and you're curious, you may be wondering, like, what does this baptism stuff mean? I mean, it's like taking people and dunking them in water. Like, what in the world? What's that all about? I just want you to know, and I want to remind everybody that's been baptized that God infused the symbol of baptism with profound meaning, profound meaning. When Jesus Christ rose from the dead and gave his disciples instructions, here's what I want you to do with the rest of your life. Here's what the world is going to look like moving forward. In Matthew 28, 18, Jesus made this bold statement. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me Like, I'm in charge of what's going to happen in the future. I'm over all things, both in heaven and on earth, so here's what you need to do. He said, go make disciples of all the nations. Now, let me just say a word to those of you who've been baptized. If you've been baptized into Jesus Christ, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, the most important command for you on the planet is to go make disciples, to be a disciple maker. In other words, if you are not discipling someone, you are directly disobeying the loving commandment of your Lord that he left as the most important priority for every single one of his followers. Okay, just got that? Then he went on to explain what it means to disciple someone or make disciples, and he started with baptism. He said, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That's what he told people to do. Go make disciples, baptize them. That's where baptism came from. But what does it mean? Well, in baptism, we see our identity, who we are as Christians, and our purpose, what we do. A friend of mine, Jeff Vanderstelt, put together a, a little a video to kind of help us understand what this means. I want you to watch it together. When Jesus commanded his followers to make disciples of all nations, he told them to baptize new believers in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This was Jesus' way of establishing these disciples in their new identity. He knew that we would live differently if we realized who we are because of God's work in Jesus Christ. God did the same thing with Abram. Do you remember how God changed Abram's name to Abraham, which means father of many nations? He gave him this name, not after he had Isaac, but before. This is how God works. God declares something to be so, and it is. This is what is going on in baptism. We are baptized in the name of the Father because we are the family of God. We are deeply loved by the Father who sent His Son to die for us so that we might become His children. And we're called to love others so that they might come to know the love of the Father as well. We're also baptized in the name of the Son because we are servants of the King. 
sent to serve the least of these as he served us. As a result, those we serve as the hands and feet of Jesus in the world experience the kingdom of God breaking in through everyday servants, showing them what the kingdom of God looks like. And we are baptized in the name of the Holy Spirit because we, just like Jesus was, are God's spirit-empowered missionaries sent to proclaim the good news of the gospel to the world so that others might come to know Jesus and in turn would also become disciples who make disciples of Jesus. This is how it works. Whatever God does to us, he also intends to do through us. Now some of you are saying, whoa. Like, I had no idea. In fact, some of you may not remember your baptism because it was something that your family did for you or did to you had you be baptized as an infant. Some of you be, may be saying, well, it, yeah, my mom came to me when I was a kid and said, it's time, it's time. And so uh, you got dunked and you're like, well, I had no idea. Well, so glad you're here today because now you know what Christian baptism in it is. And what Jeff said is, is whatever God does to you, he does through you. Your identity, who you are, and what you do, your purpose. And so we are the family of God. We're the children of God. That's our identity. And since we've been loved, we love others. That's what we do. We are servants of the Son of God, Jesus, who served us by giving us life. And so we give life. We serve other people as well. That's what we do. The Holy Spirit fills us so that he empowers us to be able to bring that power to other people. We become missionaries. Now, that's the meaning of being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But there's even more. When we are physically baptized, the symbol itself actually lets us experience or identify with what Jesus went through. Jesus was, he died and he was buried in the ground. And then Jesus rose again, and baptism literally acts out dying with Jesus, being buried, and being raised again. And that all has meaning that we are like Jesus. In fact, Paul said it this way. He said in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, he says, Or don't you know that all of us who are baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism and death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. In other words, when someone is placed under the water, that's burial. Now the old you is gone. The old you that's focused on being selfish, the, the, the world revolves around me, being prideful, I'm the most important thing, seeking my own happiness at all costs, following the desires of my flesh, like that person is gone, you're dead to those things. And then being raised again, just like Jesus rose from the dead, leaving sin behind, all that he carried, all that he paid for, that's all gone. Jesus rises from the dead to live a new life. That's Jesus' intention, that we would then live our lives. In fact, the word life here is an important word. Last week in the sermon, we talked about the difference between bios life, that is our biological life, our physical life. You know, we eat, we drink, we sleep. The efforts of our lives that we spend time 
working, to acquire, to build houses, to put a roof over our head, to have clothes on our back, to be able to drive where we want to go, use the technology, invest in entertainment so that we're entertained, that we travel, like all the, the effort of the world that consumes most of our time, and then we train our kids to do the same thing. We're going to get you through all of this great education so you can go to college, so you can go out and make a living, so that you can do really well financially, so you can take care of the bios. But there's another word in the New Testament. It's zoe. Zoe refers to spiritual life. When you were baptized into Jesus Christ and raised with him, now you have zoe life. In fact, that's the word here, zoe. What does it mean? It means you are now connected to God, that you can know him, that you can pray to him and he can speak to you, that he has a purpose for your life, that you're energized by his power and his mission. And in baptism, all of that is communicated. That's who you are. Now the disciples heard the command, go make disciples. So they went out to do that and they baptized people. That's what they chose to do with what Jesus told them to do. And Jesus' disciples became the difference makers, therefore for others. So they, they, they passed that on. Now I want to give you a story in the New Testament that really highlights that. So if you go to your, in your Bible to Acts chapter 9, the place where I've been having you hold your finger there, and we read in Acts chapter 9, verse 36 in Joppa, that's a, a, a port on the Mediterranean Sea, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. Tabitha is an Aramaic word. That's the language Jesus spoke. So she's Jewish. Dorcas is the Greek name. Now, this name, Tabitha Dorcas, means gazelle. So she's somebody who's swift, somebody who's graceful. At least that's what her parents projected on her when they named her Dorcas. Now, we see her character here. Dorcas, who always was always doing good and helping the poor. Always doing good and helping the poor. Very important terms. The word always doing good is the Greek root that we get our word beneficial from. In other words, what she was spending her life doing always, what consumed her time, was benefiting other people. So she was doing things that other people needed. When you were around Dorcas, you benefited. She was a difference maker. The second word, to care for the poor, comes from the Greek root word, which means to have compassion. In other words, she wasn't doing this from a distance. She wasn't setting up GoFundMe pages. She wasn't sending checks in. She actually personally got involved with the people she's helping. That's the way of Jesus, that you care for people enough to get involved in their lives. And so she was investing her life in the people around her. We find out that the people who were benefiting the most, a little later on in the chapter, she was focused on a group of widows. Now, we have very limited frame of reference to what life was like in the days of Jesus because our world is so different. But just suffice it to say that there was no social safety net. 
There wasn't a, a place you could go down to the food bank and there'd be food, or you could sign up for some kind of assistance, or you could go to a church and, and get, get into their benevolence fund and receive funds that way. In other words, if you were alone, it was difficult. And if you were part of the poorer class, which was the majority of people, you actually had to produce something to survive. And so if, if the vegetables didn't grow in the garden, you didn't eat. If you were fishing and you didn't catch anything, you didn't eat. People were paid by the day for their labor. And so if nobody hired you today, you didn't have any money today. They paid you at the end of every day. You didn't, you didn't get a job the next day. You didn't get a job the next day. You, you see where this is going, right? And it was particularly difficult for women because men held the power, the property rights, and so when a woman's husband died and she was a widow, oftentimes she became totally destitute. We believe that Dorcas must have had some financial resources because she's actually taking care of these people and providing for them, and it's making a huge difference. She's a difference maker. Now, nobody probably paid any attention to what she was doing in those widows, except for the one who watches everything. And he knew exactly. Then there was a crisis, verse 37. About that time, she became sick and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upper room. Lydda, that's a town, was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once. So they don't know what to do, but rather than going ahead and finishing the embalming and then bury her, they put her in the upper room. They send a messenger about three hours walk to find Peter asking him to come back. So Peter's now coming back. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the windows, all the, excuse me, widows stood around him, crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Now, I want you to make sure you see the scene. They're showing Peter the robes and the other clothing that they are wearing. Which means, if you remove Dorcas, tattered rags, Naked? Like, we've all got a closet full. We're talking about putting a shirt on somebody's back, a covering over their body. And that's what she's been doing. You can imagine the alarm that they are feeling if she's gone. What's going to happen to us? One of the most important questions that you can ask yourself, first as a human being, but more importantly as a Christian, is if I was gone, would anybody feel desperate? Would anybody miss me? If I was gone from my neighborhood, would it matter? Would people say, no, 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 don't leave. You've made such a difference. You've benefited us. You've cared for us from your job from your school, would anybody miss you? 
The definition of a difference maker is somebody who actually gets involved. People benefit from their lives. Here is Dorcas, a disciple of Jesus, doing what? Doing what Jesus did for the people that she came in contact with. So what's Peter going to do? Tough situation. She's dead. They're looking at him. And notice in verse 40, Peter sent them all out of the room. Then he got down on his knees and he prayed. Turning toward the dead woman, he said to her, Tabitha, get up. She opened her eyes and seeing Peter, she sat up. He took her by the hand, helped her to her feet. Then he called the believers and the widows and presented her to them alive. This became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord. Like, wow, what a miracle. I often wonder, like of all of the people that had died, like the disciples that are all getting martyred, they didn't get raised from the dead, but this woman did. This woman got raised from the dead. So I'm always curious, like Peter... I would not have had a clue as to what to do. And they're calling you, come in. She's dead, Peter. What are you going to do? Peter did exactly what Jesus had already showed him. You see, a girl had passed away early in Jesus' ministry. And in Mark chapter 5, Jesus goes in, brings Peter into the supper room where her body lays. Jesus sent everybody else out, and Peter's there. When Jesus speaks these two Aramaic words to her, he says, Talitha kum. Talitha, little girl, kum, arise. And all Peter had to do was change one letter. Tabitha, kum. Tabitha, arise. Peter was just doing what Jesus did. And that's what we're called to be as difference makers. That we do what Jesus did for other people. We follow his guidelines. We do things his way. And when we do that... That is transformational. Now, I want you to know that the followers of Jesus have been doing that in the world from the time of Jesus, and most of the things that you look at today and take for granted, you say, well, I'm glad we have that. I'm glad that's happening. I'm glad we have that. Those would not be here if Jesus would not come and if his followers would not have lived out their faith. You say, Tim, what kind of things are you talking about? Well, let me give you the methodology. So if you worked your way back and you looked at the condition of the world, what people believed on the planet before Jesus came, and you take what Jesus taught and what his followers then brought into the culture, even though they were persecuted and scorned for these values that they brought, and then as they began to build these institutions... It began to change the world. Institutions like orphanages and hospitals and public education, which included the poor and women. You say, those institutions came from the Jesus people? They absolutely did. Think about just those three institutions. If we remove those from the planet today, and they didn't exist because nobody valued people, let me add to the list. Universities. 
women's rights, child labor laws, the abolition of slavery, the value of an individual that is 100% based on the image of God, Jesus as God coming to earth, taking on the form of a slave, dying on a cross, and saying every human matters to God, so God would come and die to save every human. That did not exist. Nobody believed that in the world that Jesus came into, but his followers did. And therefore, they went and got the children that were abandoned by their parents because they were female, or because they weren't shaped exactly the same way, or because we have too many of them, and they brought them in, and they loved those children and raised those children who expanded the church. And you better believe that those children carried that, vet, that value with them wherever they went as they became Christians and began to share. Now, we live in a world right now where the media is communicating that the church has ruined the world. Many in the media are given that message. University, if you're a student today, you may sit in a class where a professor is teaching you that the church is ruining the world. Like, you may hear that in the very university that was potentially founded by a Christian group, or at least the idea was coming from there. Even in high school, kids are getting that now, like students are hearing that. It's just the opposite of true history. You would say, well, how could that hoax be perpetuated if it's factually not true? How many of you were raised and taught that people in the day of Christopher Columbus believed that the earth was flat? Everybody in here that's over 40, actually probably 35, and that the church believed that the earth was flat and perpetuated this ignorance. That's not true at all. Everybody knew that it was not true, and yet it was propagated and taught to children and a whole generation. Some of you are going, you mean that's not true? <laughs> like dating all the way back to Aristotle, people knew. The church totally knew that. So if that lie could inv invade a whole system of education and be taught to everybody, why do you believe everything that you're taught today about Christianity in the church? I, like Satan's working really well to create this kind of ignorance. And, and, and I say this to say that the church of Jesus Christ has transformed the world because the people of Jesus Christ with the message of Jesus Christ and the power of Jesus Christ have made the biggest difference on this planet. And the things that you benefit from today actually came from Jesus and his disciples who lived this thing out. So what's my application? Through Jesus, we can be the difference makers for Austin and beyond. Like, we live in a place where there's a lot of brokenness. We live in a world where there's a lot of brokenness. The question is, are the people of God going to live in this world as difference makers? Now, let's get really practical. So, so what does that look like for me? Well, the first thing I would challenge everybody here to do is revisit your baptism. Revisit your baptism. 
In other words, what were you baptized into when you were baptized? And do you understand what that meant? As I've just explained it, a transformed life. Go back and revisit your baptism because there are so many Christians in this church who believe a false gospel. I call it the two-day gospel. You believe that only two days actually matter. The day you pray to receive Christ and the day you die and go to heaven and all the rest in between, God is totally optional. Living for myself, following the culture, doing what everybody else does, making my life all about me is normal. And that's not true. The gospel of Jesus Christ was intended to impact every moment of your life. In fact, I love what New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says. He says this, he says, Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project. Not to snatch people away from the earth, but to colonize earth with the life of heaven. When Jesus was asked by his disciples, teach us to pray, what did he say? You pray this way, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus, he did not snatch you up to heaven the day you received Jesus. He left you here for something more. He left you here to be a change maker, a transformational person. Now, I know what so many of you are thinking right now. You're thinking to yourself, I don't have time for that. How would I add doing something helpful for someone else to my already full life? I want you to hear that thought really loudly in your head. Because what God is saying to you in that thought is that you have so committed your life to yourself, to your activities, to live in the bios here in this life, that you actually have boxed God out. You're not in jail. Nobody is forcing you to live this way. Just because the consumer culture says, you got to do all these things, you don't have to do them. You can actually reorder your life. You say, I will be really different. <laughs> exactly. To be a difference maker, you got to be willing to be different. You got to be willing to be different. Revisit your baptism. Here's the second thing. Second practical thing is, is know and tell stories of God's different makers, God's difference makers. Know and tell stories of God's different ma difference makers. There are all kinds of things that God is doing in the world right now. You need to know what God's doing and tell those stories. So for example, we just invested in Community First Village. Community First is actually changing the landscape of homelessness in Austin. The majority of people in Austin, even though they're divided on the political landscape of what to do with that, 
all know that we do not want to see people poor and destitute strung out on the streets. Nobody cares. Nobody wants that. Everybody cares about that. And the group that's doing the most to change that is a Christian group. And we're behind that and supporting that. Like I would challenge you, go tell five people this week that story. Guess what my church did? Guess what the church did that I'm part of? You know what will happen? You'll have a lot of people go, whoa, really? I thought the church was just like getting people to come and give their money so the pastor could have a Learjet. (laughs) Isn't that the story? Isn't that what's out there? Right? Okay. So go tell the stories. There's so much going on. In fact, over the next five weeks or four weeks, we're going to talk about some of the biggest problems that are taking place in our culture. We're going to look at how the church of Jesus Christ is actually already involved. People are doing things in our community to change some of these things, starting next week with human trafficking and how you personally could get involved in that. That's what our small groups are going through. They're looking at how do we look at these things and be informed about that. But you've got to break out of the bubble of the activities and busyness that consumes our life to be able to step into that. So know the stories, tell the stories, and then I would say finally, become a difference maker yourself. Become a difference maker yourself. Like, what am I doing that's actually making a difference in the world in which I live? And so Thursday of this week, a friend of mine passed away. Thursday, my friend, Pastor George Clark, who pastored the Mount Zion Baptist Church until he was 93. 93. In fact, he retired in August. He passed away on Thursday. So I want to tell you about two things related to this man. I've gotten to know him. We've been friends for a number of years now. When George Floyd died, I jumped in my car, called him, jumped in my car, said, hey, can I come talk to you? Sat down at his desk. And we just sat there and looked at each other for a minute. He just... And he said to me, Tim... He said, I'm so tired. Now, 93. So he lived through all the civil rights, everything. He said, I'm just so tired. And I was wondering, like, what's he going to say next? What's he tired about? He said, I'm just tired of us not being able to get through the racial tension. And I was expecting him to blame blame people or to blame systems and that's not what he did he said Tim I feel like I have failed he said I feel like my people are not living as true disciples of Jesus Christ now for him to say my people he's talking about his predominantly African American community his church and he says I feel like My people are living for their own success. Bigger houses, nicer cars, kids in college. Like, they're living for their own personal life. And he said, I just feel like if our people were living 
for Jesus, we would have made a bigger difference in our world. And I'm listening to him thinking, well, that's exactly how I feel. I feel like we could be changing our city, but the majority of Christians do not have time, do not have any focus on this. It's all about my life and not the life of Jesus. It's not the life of transformation. It's not the life of making a difference. And we just sat there and looked at each other and went, what's happening? So three weeks ago, I was on the phone with him. I tried to set up a meeting with him, but his health was starting to fail, and I didn't realize the depth of it. So I'm on the phone with him, and he's on the phone with me. He's on the phone with me. And he's got a whole list of things for me to do. (laughs) He said, I can't get together. But then he started outlining the transformation that needs to take place in our city as part of the legacy that he wants to leave. And he said, I can't come, but I need you to commit (laughs) that you're going to take these things on. Now, I, I, I want you to think about it. You're 93. You have a bucket list. What's on your bucket list? Can you imagine Dorcas? She, she like opens her eyes. She looks, there's Peter. She's back from the dead. And she says, I am so excited that I've got more time. I've got seven more things to do. I want to see the mountains. I, I want to r- ride in, a, in an upside down airplane at some point in time, sky riding through the sky. I want to take my great, great, great grandkids to Disney World for the fifth time. I have so many things I want to live for just like you and me, right? Isn't that what this is all about? Retiring, having fun? No, Dorcas went right back to loving those widows because she knew that that's what her life was about. She was a difference maker. And here is Pastor Clark, my friend, saying, Tim, here's my bucket list. We got issues that God's heart is broken over in our city. Can you mobilize the church of Jesus Christ to make a difference? Can I? I guess we all have to answer that, right? You have been raised with Christ to bring the kingdom of Christ into this world by the way you live your life. And when you stand in his presence, you're going to say, I'm so glad I was a difference maker about the right kind of things. In fact, I look forward to the day when all of us from Hill Country Bible Church get in a big circle in the presence of Jesus. And when we do that, in that big circle together, we can share stories of how God used us to make a difference in the world, and you can tell your own story. That's my prayer for you. The question is, will the people of Jesus live out their baptism? Will you? I pray that you will. 
for the good of our city, our world, and for the glory of Jesus. Let us pray. Father in heaven, as you look down on us at all of our locations online, you know exactly where each one of us is. And you love us. You have gifted us with time, with experiences, with opportunities, and with your spirit. May you bring forth from each of us all that you intended to be and do in us. And may we be the difference makers that change this community and the world for your glory and for Jesus' fame. We pray, amen.